Hi, you guys want some cookies? 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 Mortgaged garage, the new garage. Don't forget the umlaut. It's the throwback podcast, season five, seven, twelve, nine. Well past the expiration date. I'm Dan Hansis, joined by my bosom buddy, Buddy Castro. Hey Bob. Hey Dan. You can tell it's a new season because we came in differently. That's the full Jackie Daytona. Song, so we're like the Cosby Show. How every season he would do different dances, we're right? Just like Cosby, we're just like Cosby. We did it. That's been our central ethos this entire <laughs> time. Wait, hang on. There it is. My good buddy Jack Doyle down in Texas. Working on a follow-up to... I was going to say, I think it's time for him to write us some new songs. She's So Hot, that album. Jackie Do- Daytona, please check it out. <clears throat> maybe wherever season, you get your stream. Maybe season like 12 when we replace you with somebody else because you've gone on to something bigger. Or I die. Yeah. Or you die. It'll be like that 70s show after Topher left and Ashton. Shouldn't have done that. They should have stopped the show at that point. But uh, no, it'll just be me and some uh, some new guy. Oh, you'll still be on the show. Yeah, I'll still be in your garage doing it with somebody else. You don't want to be the original cast member that's still there. No, that's true. Uh, who? What's a good example of that? Like the guy, oh, Screech. Yeah, well, he went with Mr. Belding. In that 70s show, it was Danny Masterson. <laughs> right. Oh, right. well, so we got Cosby and Masterson right off the bat. <laughs> um, all right, this is the new season of throwback podcast and we are going to begin the season by hitting up the band that as we've discussed on this show i think it was episode 100 it was the foundational element of our rekindled friendship bob in 1994 the counting crows the counting crows third album this desert life 1999 yeah, we talked about coming back with Oasis because that seemed to be like a move that we've done in the past. I think we've done every album already. I, we might have, uh, at least off mic, but um, we didn't want to come back with Don't Believe the Truth. <laughs> not, album, not to say we're not going to do it, but we decided like, not to come back with it. It's that. like when you're gone for four months or five months or whatever it was, not counting the uh, best of 2021 episode, which you should check out, um, you don't want to roll in with heathen chemistry. No, probably not the best move. Or dig out your soul. So... <laughs> Instead, we're going with This Desert Life. Which, by the way, which I know. <laughs> as we make jokes about it, This Desert Life is uh, maybe not, well, not maybe, is not the most well-known County Crows record. But it is a record that means a lot to both of us. It is. But we love it, Bob. We have always loved this album since it came out. And I have a lot of thoughts about it. I even did a note card. You did a note card. Got a note card. Look here. at this new season. There's preparation now. Like we are. We have some ground rules for the new season. Do you want to share the new ground rules? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We decided, uh, we've been doing this for too long now. That could be agreed amongst us. I think this is the last year of the podcast. You would think. 
But I think we've said that for about three right. years running now. Right. It's been going on for too long. At this point, neither of us remember anything that's been done or said on these microphones. Right. So we used to have a rule, like if we told the story three times, then that would be the end of the show. Right. At this point, we don't know what we've said. So we are starting new. This is essentially the first episode of the Throwback Podcast. So don't connect with us. And by the way, thank you, especially all the Patronis who are back now on uh, on the dime. Uh, do not tell us that we've already told a story. We don't care. <laughs> it's all new. This is all it's new It's like to us. Ricky Gervais in, in that Golden Globe speech, which gets more iconic with every year. I don't care. It's the last time we're doing it anyway. It doesn't matter if we've already told the story. You'll hear it again, and that's fine. In television, like when we do... Ooh, that's my ice machine. My wife got me an ice machine for Christmas. Yeah. Because I like ice. You're a big ice guy. But I don't understand. I don't need ice because we have an ice machine. It's in our refrigerator. She got you an extra ice machine. I have two ice machines. You have more ice than you need, and that's... In TV, something. like with, with I'm, I have a very successful podcast called the Around the NFL Podcast uh, that has spawned a television show on NFL Network. Wait, time out. This is all true. Television. Television. Bob. You. Hey, you got a face for podcasts <laughs> over here. <laughs> That's where I was going. But sometimes, like they'll say in the A block, bang, bang, bang. Mm-hmm. But bring it back at the bottom of the hour because you might. Not... That's us. This is the bottom of the hour, mm-hmm. and we're just bringing shit back, and it's not because we forgot. It's because it doesn't matter. There We're you doing go. It anyway. So I like how we segued very quickly from thank you to the Patreones for supporting us to, go to it doesn't matter within yeah. like a minute. So, and before we get to County Crows, before we get to the number one song, Bob, um, when this desert life was released, which I could tell you, it's one of those touchstone albums of um, our youth. Mm-hmm. So I know it was November nineteen ninety nine. Of course, November second. Um, we want to pay tribute to one of the greats. You know what this is? No, never heard it before. (laughs) Shit, he goes right into it. Of course he does. Don't bore us, Loaf. Get to the chorus, Loaf. Jim Steinem was like, it was me, Jim Steinem. I'm responsible for that creative decision. Me, <laughs> Jim Steinem. He's dead too. <laughs> He's dead too. R.I.P. But I'll never forget the way you feel right now. Oh, no. No way. And I would do anything for love. But I won't do that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome uh meatloaf died a few weeks ago and another uh signifier of the death of youth mm-hmm. um and this song and again it doesn't matter if we told this story it is so improbable that if you were a someone that was in junior high in the early 90s You'd be slow dancing to a contemporary hit single by Meatloaf, and yet you were. And the single edit of the song was over five minutes long. Right. And I'll just always remember the girl grabbing me at that party. Yeah. Jeanette's party. Jeanette's her party. Basement. And it wasn't the girl that I wanted to dance with that night. But you know what? As a girl wanted to dance, that's cool. She had her head on my shoulder. 
We danced for about six minutes. And then when it was over, pause. <laughs> I was wearing a purple silk shirt. Of course you were. And I walked back and I found Bob, who had just uh, 69 with a girl upstairs. See, I know. I Euphoria was, style. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was also dancing, but I had the opposite experience at that party. Bob was I cri- did some crystal meth and then did a cartwheel 69 up the stairs. <laughs> up the stairs. Up the stairs. Yes. Defied gravity. Just like Zendaya. No, I grabbed a girl that I liked, and she got stuck with me for six and a half minutes. Right. So I was thing, on the other end of The that. whole thing with I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that is it's a slow dance banger, but make sure you're dancing with the person you want to be dancing with. Because the girl that I was dancing with left a giant, wet, cold puddle of drool on yes. my left shoulder that I can <laughs> still feel. It's like a guy that goes to Nam and loses his leg and it's phantom leg or whatever. I had that phantom drool puddle on my left shoulder <laughs> still to this day. How, how, how safe are we here? Is this a safe space? Because I want to throw something out there. Are you going to share that you were against the United States efforts in Vietnam? <laughs> no. I wanna th- I'm pretty sure that this is the same girl who within high school we decided. Lovely girl, by the way. Let me just say, nice girl. Yes, excellent, excellent we, woman, we, <laughs> excellent young woman. We had decided at some point that um, she never learned that she oh, was. No, Bob. No, don't share this. I don't. I knew it doesn't help us. It was bad, and why didn't you share with me? And then we bleep it if it's too bad. <laughs> okay, we decided that she never uh, learned. Oh, no. <laughs> so yeah, no, let's bleep that. that's the right call uh because even if she might remember that slow dance you're right she might have a different memory of it too right like maybe i was the one that asked her but i don't think so you were like drool on me i'm into this on me drool (laughs) on me anyway meatloaf is gone you got to dance with a girl you liked yeah that one time yes but i mean my general memories of meatloaf loaf is never enjoying any moment that Meatloaf was playing. And I know, like, now that he's gone, we say nice things. Trying to, like, listen to him now, being far removed from being, like, a asshole 12-year-old, I enjoy it a little more. But I just, I hated Paradise by the Dashboard Lights every time it came on. That reminds me of, like, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like, See, mo- I liked all that stuff. See, I, I didn't, I never liked that. And then uh, this song... Just, you know, being in the car and having to listen to five and a half minutes of this. It's so long. And all you wanted to do is... this broad shows up out of nowhere? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I... She didn't get her just do there. We just blew right by it. Um, Anyway, we lost Loaf. We did. And uh, also, I believe... In fact, I don't believe I know... One of the Yankee, New York Yankees yearbooks from the early 90s, our boyhood hero, Don Mattingly, was asked his favorite musical artist, and he said Meatloaf. So do with that what you must, Bob. Well, that's the other thing, too. Uh, He didn't do Bob's any favor being named Bob in Fight Club. I feel like, Uh, you know, as far as Bob representation goes, like that's not who you want to see as another Bob. He played a middle-aged man with breasts, like fully developed breasts, right? Thankfully, um, but not like uh, man boobs, like actually 
female breasts. I can't remember what the... Yeah, I don't exactly remember, but Ed Norton was cuddled in there at some point. So yeah, not a, <laughs> not a great Bob moment for, for Bobs everywhere. So, Well, where do you stand on being a Bob now that you're 42? Every once in a while, it hits me how funny of a name it is. It's a great name. It's very... Well, but also the fact that you are Bob. Right. Like, you're not Robert. Right. Your birth certificate says Bob. Yeah, I'm a real Bob. You're a legit Bob. There's only a few of us. But, um, it's, you know, I don't say my name very often, so I don't really think about it. It's like how you don't, you know, you don't see yourself. Here's the highest compliment I could pay to your name in 2022. I don't know any other Bobs. No. That's either good or bad, because either everybody decided together we're never using this name again. I know a lot of Robs. It's true. Because I think Bob went the way of Barbara or XYZ older names. Right. You never had that option, but I think it all worked out for you ultimately. I think it worked out for me. Uh, my wife tells the story. She's a fourth grade teacher about whenever she would you know, meet her class at the no, beginning of the, the year. <laughs> I hate that thing. I hate that thing already. When she would um, meet her, the class at the beginning of the year and she would tell her fourth graders that her name's Heather and I'm married. My husband's name is Bob. The class would always laugh. She would always get a big laugh from a bunch of nine-year-olds by saying her husband's name was Bob. Why? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think they did that for? Because <laughs> they've never met him. I mean, I guess it is kind of a funny name, but I don't know why. We'll never know. What are you drinking, by the way, today? I don't know. It was in your fridge. It's called Bell's Lighthearted Ale. This oh, is the yeah. first beer, Emily loves that. first beer I've had in over a month. Tastes good. It must feel really good. Feels really You're good. You're on a health kick right now. I'm on a health kick right now. And I could tell. Oh, yeah. Hey, let's go to the number one song uh, in November. 19- so Meat Love is Dead. Uh, <laughs> number one song. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Before we do that. So November 2nd, 1999. Not a lot was going on that month. Uh, except the world was captivated by a little show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Oh, yeah. And on uh, the 19th of November, a man became the first player to win a million dollars. Do you, Dan Hansis, remember the name of the first million-dollar winner on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I watched it. Of course you did. We all did. I could picture his face. Yep. I remember him getting to the last question. I even know what the last question was. Wow. It was which president appeared on Laugh-In. And the answer was Richard Nixon. That's right. And he called his dad yep. just to tell him, hey, dad, I just want to let you know I'm about to win the million dollars. Baller move. Uh, but I don't remember his name. How could I remember all that other shit? <laughs> but not this motherfucker's name. What is it? John Carpenter. John Carpenter. John Carpenter. J-O-N. Nope. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Yeah. I mean, everybody loved that show, and it was a million dollars. That was a lot of money back then. Should we do a retrospective on Regis Feldman now? Another giant. We've lost him, too. Play his music. A couple of movies came out that month. Name Regis's wife. I talked to Joy, and Joy told me I got a (laughs) Good Regis impression. Put that next to your Pacey. Thank you. Dawson, Dawson, Dawson. Toy Story 2 came out that month. Regis died of natural causes. (laughs) The movie Dogma disappointed us that month. And yeah, that was bad. the number one song here in the U.S. of A. No! <laughs> no! Of course it was. No! No! 
Rob Harvilla of The Ringer does a way better music podcast than us. Like, I would say... There are so many better music podcasts than this so one. Many. One of the worst things about doing our podcast is listening to other music podcasts and realizing how much better all the other podcasts yep. are. So if you are listening to our podcast, I would recommend you turn it off <laughs> and go listen to Rob Harvilla's podcast, uh, which is called uh, 60 Songs That Define the 90s, I believe. And... He did a whole episode. They they focus on one song, Rob does, uh, but it's actually kind of a breakdown of the entire art, the artist and uh, his arc and the era in which the song was a hit. S- the Smooth episode is excellent, and you learn so much more about it, including, like, Santana at this point was like a 50-year-old or whatever, and right. the guitar god of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and Clive Davis, the head of... Arista or whatever, um, went to Santana. He's like, bro, just give me, like, put out a 13-track album. Give me seven tracks where I get to tell you exactly what to do, what the songs are, who's going to be on the album. And and Santana's like, all right. And half the album had all these different guest verses, including the great Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20, and this was the big single, of course, and it is, I think, by Billboard standards, the biggest single of all time. I mean, it was number one for, I think, like six months straight. It was huge. Also famously, the first number one hit of the new millennium and blah, blah, blah. And the mo- I think the title of most overplayed song of all time is Smooth. Yeah, that's fair. By Santana featuring Rob Thomas. Like every once in a while, I'll catch myself saying, like, it's a hot one. And my brain immediately goes to this song. <laughs> Like, I couldn't tell you if, the, if I like this song or not, because some songs um, come out and you like them and then they get overplayed and then time passes and the song pops up again and you're like, oh, I either like this song or mm-hmm. I don't like this song. This song was so overplayed from the jump and then lasted for so long that it hit a point of no return. There are so, only There's a small list of songs that are like this. And there's no way to form an opinion anymore. It just becomes part of like the atmosphere. Yeah, we were also anti Rob Thomas at this point in our lives. So well, it was Durrett supporters. You couldn't. You couldn't. You had to be anti Train. You had to be anti Matchbox <laughs> Twenty. You had to be anti. Who else were you? Had the, to be pro Gigolo Ants. Pro Gigolo Ants. Pro uh, Dogs Eye View. Dogs Eye View. Yeah. You had to love that guy. I did love that Peter, guy. Stewart. Pete, you gotta love Peter Stewart <laughs> of Dogs Eye View. Pro Live, not a problem for us. Pro wallflowers. There was pro life. Maybe there were two camps. It was like the nerdiest uh, gang war ever. Let's. I. You know what? I can't. I can't. Let's. We. As so many times they've bailed us out. So many times, Canada. That's not true. Right. Name me one time Canada bailed us out of anything. Our country. Uh, they gave us the Nationals. Not the band. The baseball team. Not willingly. Right. I love Canada, but I was going to say that we need to be saved by Bruno, Canada. Bruno. Bruno is from Canada. Bruno, the sponsor. He's been sponsoring us from the get-go. Yeah. He's kind of saved us in many ways. Right. Okay. Uh, but let's let's actually rely on Canada to save us from Rob Thomas and Santana. Yeah. What was when, the number one song in Canada? The number one song in Canada. They have good taste up there. Of course they do. 
ladies and gentlemen, this is Mambo number You motherfuckers. <laughs> Canada. The one time I Canada. can save us. One time. Canada. We always have your back. <laughs> We've always been cool. Even during the Rob Ford thing. <laughs> we, we kind of enjoyed we're, that. We were actually super cool about it. Oh, yeah. Bob, how many times have you and I talked about how Vancouver is a beautiful city? Oh, it's... Unbelievably clean. So beautiful. A, a, a serene mix of... Uh, scenic views of right mountains, the, right there on the water, and then a modern city where crime checks—you know—they oh. they check it out of uh, Calgary. Of all the cities I've never been to, it's the most beautiful. Absolutely, and this is how they repay us. <laughs> all right, so nineteen ninety nine is weird. I mean, this is what we were living through, guys. Right, this was it. Kids out there. You people born outside 1980, you'll never understand. <laughs> this was 19. We were in college. This was like the music that you're supposed to hold on to for the rest of your life. All right, let's get into it. You hear the ice machine? You think it's picking up the mic, the ice machine? Oh, absolutely it is. I love it. It's the new cricket. This Desert Life. And the lead single was also the first track. It is Hanging Around, which right off the bat, Bob, we're into interesting terrain and discussing the merits and demerits of County Crows. Ready to come down and hanging around. I don't care what the haters say. I was in on this song day one, still in on this song. For, for a Counting Crows fan, I was so excited to hear this song because... Right away, they were shedding that sad bastard reputation of theirs and putting out a party song. Mm. You know, like, I mean, kind of. It's kind of a party song. Not kind of. It is. It's a party song. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. Youth. It's a song about right. partying all night, having a hangover all day, and then doing the same thing again. Yep. And they put out, like, the flashy music video with Amy Smart. They oh, did, yes. They did it all. And I was in. Listen to this bass line here. Where have you been? I've been lying oh, you ready? Here we go. Right here on the floor. Right here on the floor. White guy stuff. <laughs> this is white guy heaven right now. But it's like good white guys. Not the bad ones. Who are the bad ones? Wow. Oh, like the bad ones. Oh, yeah. Like 
there are a lot of bands. Yeah, that's no, no, I know. But this is like the music. This is the soundtrack of the good white guys. <laughs> the guys that when we know, have when we have good yeah. white guy meetings, this is what we play as everybody's finding their seats. Just like to get everybody in the right mood for yeah. our conversation about. How can the good white guys fight the good fight? The meeting of the good white guys is coming to order. Everyone sit. <laughs> Everyone sit. It's like, oh shit, hanging around's on. Get your seats. <laughs> All right, what can we do to better the earth? <laughs> How can we be part of the solution? You know, just typical good white guy shit. Please sit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm with you. I, I think that this song is not cool. It was kind of dad rock before dad rock was a term in a Right, way. it was dad rock for 19-year-olds. Right, which why it always felt a little weird. Like, it was hard to figure out what it was. It did very well um, for them. It was a, a very effective first single. It was a top 30 hit on the Billboard Hot 100. It was a hit across the world. Top 10 single, their fifth in Canada. How about that? Okay. Redemption? Um, and yes, I thought it was a very interesting way to start their album. And now we're going to get into every once in a while in this episode, we're going to dip into like some Crowhead talk. Okay. Yeah. And I hope there are Counting Crows fans that listen to this show. I kind of think there might be that will understand some of the depths we go into here, which will go deeper than some other artists on the show. I think, Bob, this is the first Counting Crows album. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so there uh, is I got, August I and Everything yeah. After, which was the debut of the band, and it's a huge hit. It is. It puts them on the map. It gets dirt's laid by half the cast of Friends. It They become one of the biggest bands in American rock. They're on the cover of Rolling Stone, the whole deal. Then Duritz, because he's kind of a head case and also an artist. Artist. Recovering the Satellites comes out. We've covered both of these albums on this show. And that is the reaction, the backlash, the fear, the uh, excitement, the confusion of becoming one of the biggest bands in the world overnight. Yeah. Okay. And there are songs about fucking half the cast of Friends. Yes. And yet the, it doesn't sound like Counting Crows, which was a, a very, uh, on most of that album, which I think is excellent, maybe even their best, you could argue, recovering the satellites. Right. The lead single was Angels of the Silences, which sounds nothing like anything right. off of August a, and everything else. A driving guitar-based rocker. That that whole album was a reaction, like we we want to be different than what you heard on the album that you bought. This album is kind of like, all right, we got that out of our system. We did the second album where we struggle with fame. Mm-hmm. We did the the first the breakthrough album where we had no idea who we were making this for, but then everybody loved it. Now we're counting crows. And I think it sounds like a band that's like, all right, this is what we imagine ourselves to be. And I think this is a good single because they didn't have to like be self-consciously like uh, pushing back against fame or anything like that. It's like, what's like a good song like that that will be played on the radio? And we'll, uh, you know, people will enjoy and it will put some money in our pockets. I think that now we're a big mm, rock band. Mm. See, I don't know if Duritz has ever had that thought as an artiste. I don't think he's ever been the what are the good songs on the radio guy. But, but I listen to that song. Bob. But I do think that this if this was the first Counting Crows record, this sounds more like the rest of their discography from this point on. This is what they became like. They never. Well, for better or worse. I'm not saying it's for, yeah. I'm definitely not saying it's for better, 
but I think that this would be, if this was their debut album, it would be like a great first album. And then everything after this would be kind of derivative of this. This Desert Life and everything after? Kind of. Yeah. But I think August and- Ooh, that's um, a great playlist. It is. See? Let's get on that. And Recovering the Satellites, they're their own thing, the way you just described it. And I do think this is like their first album of the rest of their career. And I, I think it is their last truly great album. Now, you could argue with Hard Candy, which has some really good songs on it. I'm not going to argue that. But I think it kind of, I don't know. I feel like they kind of faded pretty quickly uh, in the 2000s. But they gave, for me anyway, like I'm, I consider myself like a big fan of theirs. Their first three albums, I will, I will absolutely pound the table for and defend to the end, including this one. Uh, everything after that, it gets a little dicey. I would say that there's, as a fan, there's no bad song on their first three albums. But then you can't say that for the albums to come. I think that's well put. Let's move to track two, which might be the most County Crows, County Crows song. To that point that this is the first County Crows album, there are a couple different competitors for that title on this album. Mm -hmm. This is the first one. Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, a song that, Bob, for many County Crows fans, they will point to this song and say, this is my favorite County Crows song. Yeah. I think you're one of those County Crow fans, right? I think that this song is, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a high bar, but I think you're not, a, you're not a true Crow head, which is if you want to be cool. If you want to be, all right, we're coming to order. Everyone Let's go. Take a Find your seats. Uh, you have to know this album well and you have to know this song. I think this is definitely in the top five of their songs. And in some ways, I think it's like Duritz at his best, best both as a uh, lyricist and also as kind of just telling a story and taking his time with it. As a lyricist, as a, as a songwriter, as a artist, and as a guy trying to have sex with Monica Potter. Yes. Which is everything Dirtz does all wrapped in one. Using his art to get laid in a beautiful way. Right. There is a, at this point, this is when Dirtz is his most Dirtz. He's peak Dirtz at this point. And that's, going back again to the theme of this is, if you want to, like, what is a Counting Crows record? It's this record. This song, and he was on the Bill Simmons podcast last year, and he explained the, the origin of this song, Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, is about Monica P- Potter, the actress who he saw some shitty Robin Williams movie that she was in and was completely transfixed by her, went home, wrote a song, not just about her, but kind of 
she was in his head because right. of Duritz. And then because he lives in Hollywood and because he has Hollywood friends, like either the demo of it or just the idea of it gets back to Monica Potter, who then ends up on a dinner date with Adam Duritz. And then he's like, hey, you want to go back up to the hills uh, where we're recording our new album? And he plays this song for her. Yeah. She's in the studio. She's in the studio. That's why you become a rock star. That's it. (laughs) And not only that, like now that now that the rest of the story is coming to me, they had a demo version, right? And then he gave it to her. And then they spent the next week hammering out, like, how do we do this the right way, this song? We want to get this one right. It's special. And they couldn't get it right. And then Monica Potter sent him back the demo and was like, this is the version he sent me. Is this the version that it should be? And he's like, you're right, Monica. And then they cartwheeled 69 upstairs. (laughs) Upstairs. (laughs) A lot of gravity-defying cartwheel 69. But just like the fact that it's a song about a girl he didn't know that was an actress that ends up, they date for a while and she's there for the recording. It's all peak Duritz. Right. And none of that's in the song. I mean, like you said, it was kind of like inspired by her and whatever that Robin Williams movie was. But he's not like... Patch Adams, maybe? Most likely, but he's not. <laughs> Everything goes back to that. <laughs> or Mrs. Doubtfire? Was she in that? Uh, yeah, but he's not like just kind of outwardly saying, I want to meet Monica Potter for right. a night of fun. He's just constructing this beautiful song that if you didn't know anything about that backstory, you would never know. Mrs. Potter could be some fictional character. Is what makes the song work. And and like, to his credit, you could say, and there are many people say, Adam Duritz is a, a huge tool bag, right? <laughs> It's like, yeah, but how about this? How about how many of us have watched a movie and fallen in love with Amy Dolan's about from Miracle of Beach? It's our version of this. Yeah. Now imagine, Bob, that you watched Miracle Beach with Mr. Miyagi, Dean, Dean Cameron, Cameron, and Amy Dolan's, uh-huh. Mickey Dolan's smoking hot daughter, and then went home, or you were at your house, you fit, you cleaned up, you cleaned yourself up. Obviously. And then you wrote a song about her, and then you were living in LA and you ended up on a date with Amy Dolans and you played it for her and she cried. I'd have to clean myself. I would have to clean myself up again. And then she banged you. Right. She dated you. That's, yeah. All right, let's listen to this. No, I'm not that imagining that. Think about it, my love was. When the last king of Hollywood shatters his... Great lyrical imagery. He's a great writer. Listen. In order is another Well, I wonder what he that it's when I know that I have to get out because I have been there before. So I gave up my seat at the bar and I head for the One thing I've always respected about uh, this band with this song, it's such a great melody and it's really just a great song. It's seven and a half minutes long, and they never like knocked down and made a four-minute single edit. They didn't meatloaf yeah. it. Nope. No, no, no disrespect to meatloaf. I think I disrespected him before. You can disrespect him now. It's fine. Okay, but I, I thought it was this could have been a single, and it was just like, nah, th- this needs to well, be I what think it, it is. Was it released as a single? Because there was a music video, but you're right, they never cut it down, and it was never getting any radio play because right. it's a seven-minute. The song. album didn't do very well. I looked it up actually. They went. Comparatively, I think it did well-ish. 
I'll just use the American figures here, but they sold seven, uh, August and everything after the first time went up seven times platinum. Recovering the satellites went two times platinum. This Desert, this desert Life went platinum. Hard Candy, their fourth album went gold, and then that was it. Right. That's a, quite a drop off. A lot of people, people got out. A lot of people got out after they were kind of turned off by recovering the satellites being so different. Right. I wonder if this album came out after August and Everything After. Would it do better? Interesting. Probably. I think it maybe would have made it a difference, but you know what? But you know I, what? It's kind of a weird album. Like we're about to get into like the kind of weird section of this album, which I think is what makes it such an interesting album and a Counting Crows fan, many Counting Crows fans' favorite album. If I could make it rain today And wash away this sunny day Down to the gutter I would just to get a change of pace Things are getting worse but I feel a lot better that's all that really matters to me well, Amy hit the atmosphere Amy hit the atmosphere is the third track on this desert life and now we're in more well-known crows territory the slow down Durich joint mm-hmm I think it for what it is it's very effective yeah this is this is like a favorite track off the album for me. Not mm. not number one favorite, but I love this song. I think it's an interesting song. There's a lot going on here, and it, it's kind of in his sweet spot. Oh, for sure. This is, uh, I think that one of the good things about this album is how direct it is. It's, and that's always been, you know, this has always been Adam Duritz's band. Uh, it's It's... There are a bunch of guys in the band, like maybe too many guys, like seven guys. In the a lot band. of guys, a lot of white guys. They're all at the meeting. There's yeah, so right. many of them. We're called to order. How do we help? Air freshener guys, like air here they. Hey, <laughs> gotta smell better. It's like no, we got that. We got that because you're wearing an air freshener. I don't know if you get that joke. It's fine. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, Duritz in a slowdown mode. It's like it, this is his sweet spot. Yeah. Well, hanging around just reminds me of being at Towson's. This was our sophomore year of college. Walking around campus with the disc man, bopping around, with hanging <laughs> around in my head. Just being like, Rah, I'm going to be a dad someday and I love this music. <laughs> um, this takes me into the dorm room, laying in bed, girlfriend in the arm, just kind of like listening to the music coming out of the desktop, Dell, blasting in the room. I think this was on the slowdown mix. For me. Ooh. I think it was. It was uh, the sleep sex mix. I mean, this is famously. De- this is definitely more on the sleep side than the sex side. Well, there's two sides, Bob. Famously. But they're all mixed together, so that's what makes it well, tough. that's what you think. <laughs> like, for you, the sex mix would be one track. Closer by Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next 11 tracks are Amy Hits Atmosphere on repeat. For me, <laughs> because I was more in the sting, like, tantric uh, mentality... <laughs> It's it's eleven well, it's, uh, sex songs, right? And then like four sleep songs. Well, I know you're at nineteen, and it's easier to be tantric when you're alone. <laughs> so alone, <laughs> so deeply alone. If you are somebody, if you're a teenager who hasn't found anyone yet to, uh, you know, have uh, relations with, 
these songs take on even more meaning because you you have so many feelings. <laughs> That's true. And you don't even you haven't been in a relationship yet, and all Durrett sings about is relationships and how amazing and passionate and difficult they are. It's almost like reading like fiction. All right, let's move on now to four days. Ooh. I feel like this song is when they they find a groove. On yeah. The I think that this is like we were saying before this is the first album if this was the first album this is the sound of every Counting Crows album coming up and I remember not loving this song on this desert life when I was listening to it in 1999 not hating it but just kind of being like eh with this Hmm. song I think I enjoy it more now but I wasn't crazy about the song back in the day interesting yeah I'm kind of with you. I think there are <clears throat> songs, we kind of hit a groove in this album now for the next three songs that I'm not saying that they're repetitive, but they are kind of in the same world. And I think that's the way the kids, Bob, they don't get it. Right. Like an album should have a flow to it and a vibe. Track one in this track, in this case, it's 11. If you count the hidden track, nice little, track listing by the way about 1 yep. to 11 all killer no filler headed track and there should be flows to it there should be a flow and this is a certain element of the album and I think um, if I had to pick this three song sector that is the middle part of the album if I had to rank them I would put this third but yep. that doesn't mean I don't like it as much it's just kind of gets us into this world yeah I agree would you go as far as calling this mid album filler Dan we're not there yet. Okay. I think there is one song on here that I would qualify as that. Oh, interesting. Okay. But uh, you might disagree. No, I don't think I would call. Out. I don't think I would call this that. But it's, it's close. It's it's knocking on the door. It it is like it is interesting with this album <clears throat> that it is very. Uh, it's coming from a real place. There's nothing um, artificial about it. But I think there is. August was a very organic, like rootsy feeling album. And Recovering the Satellites was its own thing that was just like more more uh, guitar driven and it was like sad bastard music combined with like a hard edge mm-hmm. for Counting Crows rock. This is this sounds like a very expensive like mainstream rock record. And I don't mean that in a negative, just like when you listen to it, 
it sounds like it costs a lot of money to make. Like, yeah. the, I think it took three or four years to make. I'm sure the record company, a lot of Christmas bonuses were riding on the Monica Potter. Of it. Monica Potter had to sign off on every song. So it took a while. She was very busy. Here's all my friends. But my point is, Bob, is that um, I just think that uh, this is not, this is, again, in the realm of this is the first Countercross song, it just kind of feels like we're going to use all our power as like a big honcho at Geffen Records to make the best possible record. Mm-hmm. We'll take our time. We'll spend a lot of money. Here it is. All my friends. All right, here's All My Friends, which I would say, Bob, is a better version of the previous track, Four Days. Yeah, I agree. See, they're they're lumped together for me, too. Like, they're just kind of the same blob of music. So you say blob, it sounds not so good. Really? Blob's a bad word? It's very similar to my name, Bob. So well, it's Bob's very... a great word, Bob. Okay. We've, we've now covered that. Okay. Whew. This is the third and final single, Bob, on This Desert Life, released in 2000. So, bad, bad choice for a single. Very bad choice, I think. You know, I, hanging around, it, I, it was almost like you could hear being written as a single. Like, yeah. that's our single. It's our bouncy, fun pop song. Track two, you're right, Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, which I can't even begin to uh, properly contextualize how certain I am that it bombed as a single. <laughs> yeah. Is it, you can't... There's no... It's a seven minute and 46 second song. I don't, how is that possible, Bob? <laughs> I don't. I don't understand how it could happen, Bob. I mean, when you're riding high off of two multi-platinum albums, I guess you're just saying, "I'm doing what I'm doing." So anyway, the third single is "All My Friends," and this is all you need to know about "All My Friends" is a single. It doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, which is kind of unheard Ooh, yeah, of that's... for a, a big band. Yeah. If you release a single, there's some type of link. No link, Bob. I like it more I like now. This, this is another one I like more now. This is great. Some great durance right here. Waiting there for someone like me. Mm. Oh, I like this one. It's great. The yeah. band is great. Like, there's great instrumentation in it. And. They sound tight. It's uh, it's good, Bob. It's good. It's not my favorite song on the album, though. I like that we we're so in our forties now, like so on the other side of being cool that we could sit here in front of microphones <laughs> and just openly gush about liking the Counting Crows. Like we don't even care anymore. Even like it is, there's a, a couple there's of, a release. There's a, a sweet release. A couple of years ago when we did uh, August. I feel like we were just like walking on eggshells because we're still like trying to maintain a little bit of cool. Now we're just like, fuck it. We're into this. It's like our second episode. It was like we're covering the satellite. It's like, eh, eh, here's long December. Hope you like it. <laughs> Don't care anymore. Nope. Hey, Bob, this is what we're about to play. And we have the throwback podcast playlist. I'm not saying that this six minute and 18 second opus should be the selection. But I'm telling you, when I think of this, if someone said, hey, hey, bitch, 
you're going to a deserted island. Mm-hmm. Desert island. A deserted desert island. Whoa. That's the worst kind of desert island. And I don't know why this would happen. So you can only get one song from the 1999 Counting Crows release, This Desert Life. Uh-huh. It's, des- it's uh, in my life. Or high life. <laughs> you didn't even know. I don't even know. You'd, you'd go there with no music because you fucked it up. In my life. That is not a song. <laughs> get on the island. Enjoy the silence. <laughs> get on the boat. No, I meant... I'm in high life! <laughs> I'm in high life! <laughs> what a weird situation you put yourself in. Alright, here we go. All my friends got flowers in their eyes But I got none this season All of last year's blooms are gone in Time doesn't give a reason Well, hey, baby, ask yourself sometimes What you need to be forgiven Everything that you ever done wrong Is the reason that I'm High Life, again, I like, it's meticulous. Like, they took their time with this record. You hear the strings. Everything is exactly in its right place. And I just love... Oh, I like when he does this right here. Yeah. Yeah, I just, listen, I also like the uncompromising vibe of it. It's six and a half minutes long. And I'm sure when they turned it over to Gaffin, they were like, Dude, what the fuck are you doing Guys, here? Guys, we need on. singles. We like the Amy Smart song. We're way in on it. <laughs> but where is the second single? Yeah. And High Life, another example, could have been, but there was a version or there is a integrity, I think, involved here. Whether you like the Counting Crows or not, that they were like, no, this is the song. This is what we want to put out. Here it is. And I think it works because there's a vibe here. Yeah. One of my... So many years ago, I went to a screening of Inglorious Bastards over at the um, Director's Guild building, and Quentin Tarantino did a Q&A afterwards. Humble brag. This is a total humble brag, but this is a cool story. Can one person say in the setup? It's a cool story that I've definitely told before. I'm in the industry. Um, I went to a hotly uh, wanted uh, premiere. Also, the number one auteur of his (laughs) uh, generation was there speaking privately. Look, I'm not trying to relate to the people. I'm just being who I am. This is Bob being Bob. This is a Bob story. Classic Bob. No, um, so I was at this thing, and at the classic Bob. At the end of the uh, screening, they did like a Q and A, and this woman stood up, and she asked, uh, she goes, "So, I uh, love the movie. Uh, is there ever going to be like a director's cut that we can see?" And Quentin Tarantino just looked at her and goes, uh, "My director's cuts play on three thousand screens." Oh, <laughs> and it was just like the ultimate like. I am the fucking king. And that, that's good. To me, that's, that's really what good. I said that because th- that's what this kind of power move from Adam Duritz reminds me of, where it's like, you know mm. what? I'm glad you want your singles. This is my song. 
this is what we're putting out, and this is what I'm doing. It's a top five gross song for about this. It is really? See, it's not in my top five, but I like it a lot. I think it's so great. I think he's just, they, they find this groove. I think the groove they're searching for this whole album is this song. I, right. think, it, I think it's instructive that the lyric, uh, This Desert Life, is also the, the album title. I think they kind of like, it's the centerpiece of the album. It's like flat in the center of the album. I think they, I don't know. I don't know if they played live a lot either, but... It always kind of jumped out to me as special. Well, you know what, Dan? I have a little. Uh, I have a little treat for you. Okay. They did. They do play it live. I don't know about a lot. Okay. But um, I went online. <laughs> I'm trying to think of if this is the right time for this. Um, well, it's now or never, Bob. Yeah, I guess it's now or never. <laughs> so ten days after this album came out. Uh, me and Eric, who runs the Instagram page, we drove up to Bucknell to visit our friend Chrissy. Sure. Who, um, oh, it all ties together. She was the poor girl who had to slow dance with me for seven minutes oh, to meet love. <laughs> oh, my God. <clears throat> we went to visit Chrissy at Bucknell. Just so, just for context, like Chrissy could have had almost any guy at that point <laughs> in grade. So the fact the old Bob is there. Seven like minutes. A, seven minutes slow dance. Old friend zone Bob was with her. It's like, oh, shit. Yep. I got to eat the shit for six minutes. Got you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we drove to Bucknell 10 days after this album came out to see the Counting Crows play at Bucknell. And um, I was curious recently, I was on that uh, internet Wayback site, sure. you know, where they have the internet archives where you can go back in time and pull up old web, web pages. I went to AnnaBegins.com knowing that we were going to do this album. Oh, of course. I mean, that is the source. That was like the one, like one of the early websites that we used to go to all the time. And I was on AnnaBegins.com and I was looking at the different tabs, looking at the same page that we stared at in 1999. Mm -hmm. And I remembered, holy shit, I think I wrote a review of the Bucknell show for AnnaBegins.com. So using this internet way back, I found my review. Oh my God. Of the Bucknell show. Oh, no. 1999. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I, I'm trying to pick. Uh, all right. I want to. I want to. <laughs> I don't know what to do here. I know. Let's let's go. Uh, let's let's play the next track. <laughs> we'll come back. It is notable. Of course. Very. This album. Uh, but we are going to stay tuned, everybody. Because Bob is going to read his. The review he wrote 23 years ago, <laughs> but I, I'm sure it's unbelievable. I am Coffee black and egg white. Pull me out from inside. I am ready, I am ready, I am ready, I am. Alright, so it's the Cruel Intentions song. 
time. We don't need to uh, build up to it. If you know this song, it's because you watch Cruel Intentions. And it's when uh, Reese is coming up the escalator at the airport. And Philippi's mm-hmm. there. And he's smoldering. That's my favorite type of Philippi. Yeah. It's a smoldering Philippi. And then he porks her. Yeah, he does. Porks her in a real good. <laughs> porks her <are> real good. <laughs> he takes the V-card. That's right. At that point, is it under false pretenses or is he in love? You know what? I owned the Cruel Intentions DVD. I don't remember watching it in full after (laughs) more than once. That's like for my uh, college graduation, my uh, friend (laughs) Mark. uh, I opened (laughs) up the gift and it was the Monster's Ball DVD. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. The award-winning Halle Berry, (laughs) Billy Bob Thornton film. Of course, of course. We don't. I mean, if you know anything about that, the backstory of that film, I'll, I'll just leave it there. Mm-hmm. It's right up there with um, Tales of Erotica, starring Mira Sorvino. Oh wow, you have Swordfish on Blu-ray. I have to say, I never liked this song. Really? Nah, it never did it for me. Well, you're very anti-piano. No, I love a good piano. No, you don't. You say you do. Hey, bro. I love a good piano. Just look at the facts. Number one, you hate the piano man. Number two, Ben Folds 5. The piano man? Yeah. Billy Joel? I thought we established in the Billy Joel episode that, by and large, I'm fine with Joel. You were at war with Zumwalt in that episode. (laughs) I don't know if that's what was established, but... I love the harmonica. I like the piano. Yeah, you're more of a harmonica guy. You and like John Popper hanging out together. That's more your scene. <laughs> Scarfing down. <laughs> Scarfing down burgers. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think it's an effective song for what Derrick's was going for. And kudos to uh, the music supervisor on Cruel Intentions. Oh, yeah. Because it is effective because he's pork and Reese. And uh, I think his intentions were not cruel at that point. I think his intentions oh. were noble. But he was in too deep, and then he had to say, "Yes, it was part of a competition." But that's before I got to know right, you. Of course, classic. Like, oh, you pig! Classic move. It was, so it was all bullshit. Yeah, classic. And it's like, no, but you don't understand. Basically, the plot. The plot of, of every movie. Forty-five like percent right. of movies. Yep. It's an annoying plot too. Great soundtrack, top to bottom. What else is on it? Pulp, just a friend, like a friend. I mean. Not the Bismarcky, just a friend. <laughs> that would be a great cover by Paul. It would be. Um, no, people have asked for us to do that uh, soundtrack before. The Cruel Intentions soundtrack? Yeah. That's like... We're it, not. <laughs> we just did uh, Colorblind, so... Covered. And right. in, in case you were wondering, they did play Colorblind at Bucknell. According to my track listing, that was the 11th song they played that night. Okay, so this is a perfect time. <laughs> I think this is the... Uh, MF or hundred percent agree with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with Speedway. Nope. But I think it is inessential. So now this would be a perfect time, Bob, to read your review. So let me just say, <laughs> it's so cringy reading anything that you've ever written. Oh no. You know what? I have to make a promise to you that if you're about to read this, the next time we do a U2 album, <laughs> I will dig through interference.com and read you okay, something great. I wrote. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Just got home from my visit to Bucknell. <laughs> What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? I just got home. Pulled an all-nighter. <laughs> I mean, I guarantee you I did just like get home. This is probably, we stayed over the next day, got home and immediately was like, I've got to write about this. Um, 
Saw the concert Friday night, and I have to say... Uh-oh. Wait, let me guess what it's going to say. This band has never been better. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> and I have to say it was absolutely incredible. Yes. Unfortunately, oh. my traveling made me miss Joe 90 and the Gigolo Ants. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> My traveling. I'm just trying to get in good with all the fans who really... You were drinking bush lights at the uh, off-campus house uh, apartment yep. of Chrissy, right? Yes. But I arrived about 20 minutes before the Counting Crows took the stage. Got pretty close to the stage. More in front of the right speaker. Nobody gives a fuck. Very important information. <laughs> the lights went out and Magical Mystery Tour came on, accompanied by a pretty cool light show on the backdrop. Pretty cool light <laughs> show on the backdrop. <laughs> it's my job to let you know if you go to a Counting Crows concert <laughs> get at ready. any time. Get ready. Get ready for the light show because it's pretty cool. <laughs> The backdrop resembled the last picture in the booklet for TDL. That's this thing. Oh, fuck you, Bob. TDL? They also had some cardboard cutouts on stage. One of the album cover. Adam came out wearing a long-sleeved red cotton shirt. Oh, Bob. You are... They jumped right into... Why did you say cotton? I don't know. (laughs) Did you even know if it was cotton? I felt it. Did you see the tag? (laughs) (laughs) No, I worked at the Gap, so I recognized it immediately. Uh, oh my God! They jumped right into Angels uh, of the Silence. Right into it. Right into it. And followed that with Daylight Fading. Both were great. Oh yeah. Aside. Then, then they played the best version of Mr. Jones I ever heard. Straight out of August. He even used Bob Dylan rather than Alex Chilton. <laughs> You're a piece of shit. <laughs> Straight up. Because, <laughs> you know, that was a big thing at the time because he didn't want to be Bob Dylan. He wanted to be Alex Chilton. Oh, man. That's good. That reminds oh, me. Just well the, done. The, the next line. The next okay, line's going to kill him. <laughs> that made it worth the price of admission right there. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, because he said Bob Dylan instead of Alex Chilton? I think the whole the, thing. The Mr. Whole thing. Jones performance? Yep, that was it. Made it all worth it. He's like, all right, we can leave. Chrissy? <laughs> I can't, let's go. I want to stare at you back at your Before apartment. I make you slow dance with me to colorblind. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I remember the previous time, well, maybe not the last time both of us went, but uh, you and I went to see County Crows Beacon Theater on the previous tour. And because we were 16 or whatever at the time, when I got home after uh, we drove back and got home, I went and checked in with my parents and they were both asleep and my dad like, had a very vague awareness of, of Karen Crows. He knew one song, Mr. Jones. And he goes, um, uh, how was it? And I was like, that oh, was good, Dad. You know, he's like, oh, he played a song, the, uh, Jones? It's like, no, actually he didn't play because he doesn't. He didn't play Jones? <laughs> oh, that rat fink. I mean, he was right. That's how we were feeling deep down, but we couldn't say it at 16. My dad had a similar vibe when... Um, we went to see Springsteen a few years later and they didn't play Jersey Girl, which is a Tom Waits oh, song. Yeah, yeah. But my dad was so angry that it ruined the concert. Anyway, that's wow. the halftime show. Back to Bob's review as we listen to St. Robinson and his cabin. Hold on. Before we get back to my review, I wanted Dream. to say, this is my weird scenario. You have to go to a deserted desert island. Really? And you only get one okay, song off this desert it. life. Yeah.
Wait, I lied. I lied, and we fucked up. We skipped. We skipped my song. Oh. Yeah, you skipped my favorite oh, song on the it. album. I blew it. I blew it. We're gonna get to it. Don't okay. worry, everybody. Because I was like, wait a minute, it's due for my favorite song on the album. And okay. This isn't no, it. we're well overdue. This is the biggest tragedy since we skipped the bends on the bends. We almost. I mean, there's nothing that's ever gonna top that. All right, let's. Let, I want to hear the rest of the review. Right. This will work out nicely. Right. And then this we'll is a good go song, back. not my favorite song on the yeah. album. Okay. Um, here we go. Where, where were we? Oh yes. <laughs> the rest of the concert rocked. Oh no! You piece of shit! <laughs> a fan shouted out for Einstein on the Beach, and Adam laughed and explained how he hates that song, and, quote, you'll never hear us do that live. By the way, that's actually the first worthwhile thing you've added. Oh, good. In this discourse. That's interesting. Is that, like, newsworthy? I think for AnnaBegins.com? Yeah. I think it is. Okay, yes, did it. Yeah. Broke some news. Yeah. Uh,. He also talked to the crowd about how great of a date he had the night before. So he wants to play a song that they haven't played in two and a half years. He explained how he wrote the song about somebody he really can't stand now. So he hasn't performed it, but he was in such a great mood because of the date. Monkey was the song. Ah, that's good. And that's the Courtney Cox song. I believe it is, right? Yep. See, he did that. In subsequent shows, too, that was always a little Easter egg for the audience. He was like, oh, man, I was on a great date. She's such a cool yeah. girl. He would do that I whole I think he did vibe. that because I remember him doing that at like Jones, Jones Beach, Beach or something. Yep. Yeah. I remember that. And uh, our friend Mark Sessler, um, he shared a similar story. Mm-hmm. That he went to a show and that he was talking about this girl that he had an amazing date with and he's feeling good right now. Uh, Duritz has got some issues. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Uh all right, so monkey was the song. Next sentence. Amazing. <laughs> oh, and I go out with the bang. Sentence. Here we go. Hanging around was a showstopper. Showstopper! Everybody was dancing around and going nuts. Oh, yeah. Here's the set list. Pretty accurate. And then I have the entire set list right there. That's good, Bob. That was good. It's actually, not... You kind of got it could have been it could have been, been way worse. worse. Yeah, could have been worse. Here's your song, by the way. Great, though. Yes, this is the song that should have come on after Colorblind. Like you couldn't wait to get back to that desk. Oh, I was so excited. Every time I try to sleep 
This album was such a weapon if you happen to be dating a girl named Elizabeth. I was about to say, I never had the pleasure of dating a girl named Elizabeth. So you just got all of these gifts handed you to you. You got this one. You got, well, the, the famously, the name of the sleep sex mix was Goodnight Elizabeth. Of course. Which was off recovering the satellites. Because I'm going to fuck you to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll wake up. Maybe you won't. Uh, that's, all right. so, that's so serial killery. Good so, night, Elizabeth. Good night, Elizabeth. <laughs> Perhaps permanently. Uh, I have a uh, not quite love hate relationship with this song, but I have like a love cringe relationship with the song. Really? I think when I listen to it today, I I remember all the reasons I was absolutely in love with it when it came out. But now, with some perspective. Um, I don't know. It's, the song is called I Wish I Was a Girl. Well, I think that was the issue at the time, was here's this band that we were a little ashamed of liking, and then this was a song on the album. Okay, so what I think is, and it's not, yeah, like, that's true, but I think the reason, lyrically, why it bugs me, it's like it's basically like, this is this is the most Adam Duritz you can get for better or worse. And mm-hmm. I think in this case it's for worse, because there's got to be a better turn of phrase, because it's just like... I don't know. I feel like you lose some of the effectiveness of the song behind that lyric. I think it's just so honest. Like like you're saying, it is the most nerds you can get. It's so it just like flat out like, I wish I was a girl so you'd believe me. Oh, let's listen to this. This is the best part of the song. Do we agree? Yeah. Yes. In one of these dreams You forgive me It makes me think of the bad decisions that keep you at home. How could anyone else have changed? All these wrong conclusions that leave you alone. How could everyone I mean, there are things about the song that are undeniable about it. Yeah, I still like it. No, I I like it too. You can't can't knock me off my perch. I like it. so much Duritz that if you're you're on the fence about Duritz, you're off the fence probably. If you didn't like Duritz already and you heard that this is... If you even heard this song, you're like, oh, fuck this guy. (laughs) But if you actually listen to the song and just give it... I'm with you. All right. I'm certainly with you. But it, you know, it is honest, Bob. It is honest. It's honest. This all comes back to Elizabeth. You're, you, yeah, maybe. You wrote, a, you wrote a rock song on a rock album called I Wish I Was a Girl. Yeah, not doing yourself any favors there. I guess some people would say, hey, man, that's punk rock. No, nobody said that. Nobody Everybody said was that. just like, wow, what it's a like, wuss. like, oh, everything I hate about this band. Yeah, okay. there it is. And then on top of it, um, the next time most people heard of this band, it was the Joni Mitchell cover. Not to, uh, well, you're skipping over the Shrek soundtrack, Accidentally in Love. I think that was after. Right, that was after this. 
No, I think that was after. Was it? I don't know. We're talking about like their second biggest song on Spotify, Accidentally in Love. Yeah, I think that was 2004. And I think the uh, They Pay Paradise, Joni Mitchell cover was the year before. It's kind of a one-two punch that... <laughs> it was a bad one-two punch, yeah. yeah. All right, this is a hidden track. It's called Kid Things. It's great. What's that makes you See, as, as Counting Crows fans who wanted other people to like this band that we liked, we were so annoyed that this was a hidden track. Yeah. We were just like, why not finish the song and put it on the album and make it a single? Because this feels like a single. It's Maybe not a single by the Counting Crows, but it does feel more like a single than a nine-minute. But it also is, I get why they did, because it's out of place on this album. It is, yeah. Because it is immaculately produced the album there's a lot of and this is tossed off this is just the guys kind of jamming and you can sense that vibe I was gonna say I wish there was a Counting Crows album that was like this yeah we're just this is us like having fun in the studio maybe it happened later on but by that point you know there, there is for most bands every band and they are no exception there's an expiration date on being able to come up with hooks and you know have an ear for melody it's just kind of one of the tough things about being in a band yeah um and making music i would have liked it when they were in their creative at their peak give me a kid things album call it kid things yeah just throw it out there even if it's only like seven tracks an ep just do this yeah give me a kid things ep yeah but I, what can we ask for you can't ask for too much bob like most bands if you get two albums that you truly love you're over the moon about it and you watch them play concerts for the rest of your life they gave us three maybe four Depending on how you feel about their next album. I think they gave us three and a handful of good songs that are nothing to nothing to laugh at. Or even Yeah, even if you go out. past the fourth album and then you go yeah. to everything else, there are songs that jump out that are quality. This and the, the, the EP they put out last year had some good songs on it. Hmm. And what you think is you're not getting any younger. Well, I know you're not really very young. Great song. Yeah. All right. So there it is. That is This Desert Life. That is the third and I'm going to say probably final Counting Crows album we're going to do. Yeah. If we're doing Fair. Hard Candy, Bob, it's like that's Screech on the new class shit. Yeah. We're not. No, that's like the reboot Say by the Bell on Peacock. <laughs> do you want to throw out a couple songs you love on Hard Candy if we're not going to hit Hard Candy? Oh, wow. I'll give you the option. I'm going to throw it out there to you. I'm fine either way you want to go. Bob. Why are we limiting it to our candy? Why don't we do a... Late... Uh, okay, okay, let's do it. All right. Oh, man, the Crowheads right now are going like... Oh, we stand it? to order? We stand <laughs> to order? How can we affect social change? <laughs> so the entire post This Desert Life catalog up for grabs? 
the whole thing, Bob. Oh, damn. I'll get us going, Bob. I will um, say that... Big uh, Yellow Taxi, bye. That ended their career for all intents and purposes. Um, but I will say Hard Candy is hit or miss at a, a profound level, Bob. Yeah. Um, I actually have two songs that I could highlight here. Um, I don't know if you had one from this album. I'll go a different album. Okay. So if I can only pick one, because I love the title track, track one, mm-hmm. but I really do, I think their last kind of mm, sweet spot is Miami. I knew you were going to pick this. I think this is a great song. I just think it's uh, because I love that percussion that goes throughout it. I like the mm-hmm. vibe of it. Uh, great vocal, great lyric. It's, I think... One of the last great Cannon Crow songs. Here it is. Yes, I think I feel all right. You come circling through the light. Skyline, baby, is bright tonight. What more perfect? Yeah, this is so good. It, it's one of those songs where his message and his lyrics, they perfectly match it, the band with him, and they kind of, they're in sync in a way that I don't think happens too much more from this point onward. How about you, Bob? Well, yeah, I think that album, that, Richard Manuel's Dead, uh, Up All Night, Holiday in Spain, like there are a lot of good songs on that album. But there's I'm a lot gonna, of filler. That's there's the filler, yeah. yeah. It also has their first terrible song, Butterfly in Reverse. Ew. It's Ryan Adams' fault. Yeah, let's that's just... A, oh, yeah. That's when we knew Ryan Adams was probably... We knew. For the we knew one. at the time. Other people didn't know. We knew. So I'm going to go a different direction with, with my pick. Okay. You're going to have to go to 2013 for their covers album, Underwater Sunshine. Okay. And I want to draw a little attention to Like Teenage Gravity. Oh, okay. Which is, I think, one of their... It's not their song, but it's... Their version of the song is incredible. Good album. Yeah. So this is by Casey and Casey. Casey Anthony. Not Casey Anthony. Wow, she got back on her feet. She's doing great. Just threw herself off and got Casey back to work. Anderson. <laughs> it's like, what does Casey Anthony do next after being in the rap? She's going into the studio, folks. <laughs> the real song is by Casey Anderson, who's married to Casey Anthony. Very complicated. That's good. And everybody learns your game around here. And that's alright. And you told me if I stayed around here, you'd find a good enough place to hide. But I see you. I see you. 
So come on out tonight. The Counting Crows version of the song just builds, and I mean, they do the, K- the Casey Anderson version of his song. It's very stripped down, and this just makes it so much bigger and more epic. So uh, I think it's a great cover. And I like covers where you don't really even know the first song, so you're not really holding it up to anything. Yep, I think that is a, that's a good choice. I I might as well. well I, don't, I don't want to throw another cover out there, Bob. No, because no, I like Untitled Love Song off that album also. But since uh, again, I I, I kind of skew first four albums and out for the most part, so I will highlight um, Hard Candy because I think that is a great way to open that album and. It's got a great vibe. Yeah, it does. I like when he talks about certain evenings in Long Island. Yeah. I don't know. That's, we could have very we could have very easily been from Long Island, I feel like. No. I think so. How, no. Yeah, we're Long Island adjacent. Rockland County? Come on. Let's they, not. Yeah, but they call us upstate. So we're not, like, they would never say that we're Long Island adjacent. You think Long Island people are being uppity about their place in the world? Yeah, absolutely they are. They're out on the island. They, they think that's the best place to be. We're upstate. We're nobodies. Yeah, but people that view Long Island as nobodies if you're in the boroughs. Have you met somebody from Long Island? They don't see that at all. They refuse to even accept that they're not the center of the universe. <laughs> we got to get Gabers back. We do need to get Gabers back. Are we basically doing Hard Candy now? Or are we just going to go right into it seamlessly and just do the whole album? <laughs> a little double up. No, give us one more song and then we will uh, uh, pick our playlist edition or don't. That's up to you. We could move uh, back to Desert Life if you want. Listen, Bob, it's our it's our world here. Yeah, I mean, we do whatever we want. Did you hear HeadGum's hiring? I, I heard that and I sent that to you just in case things don't work out at the NFL. You have a fallback option. Imagine being HeadGum <laughs> and giving us like 14 episodes and being like, no, take a walk. What What is HeadGum now? What are they doing? What are they up to, Bob? Well, I don't know. I'm going in for my interview next week, so I'll let you know. Um, no, I'm good. It's like I, when Tom Brady was drafted 199 and then he spent <laughs> the rest of his career like shitting all over everyone who doubted him. Yeah. That's how I feel about this podcast and head gum. Really? You don't act like it. You don't (laughs) (laughs) like Tom Brady. He just wasn't trying so hard. Tom Brady worked really hard. There's no TV 12 method. Well, you know what head gum couldn't do for us? The things that our Patreonies are doing on Patreon. That was a terrible segue on Patreon.com. I just pulled up the uh, Patreon because guess what, Dan? Yes. We have a new top tier Patreoni. So we want to thank everybody on patreon.com slash throwback pod. What's up with Bruno, by the way? I'll tell you in a second. Yeah. Kicking in $2 a month, $6 a month to vote in polls and keeping us alive and back. You're the reason we're back. So thank you Who's very much. Who's the new top tier Patreoni? So I want to thank all of our top tier Patreonis, including our newest, Miles. Miles. Yeah, we That's got Miles good. on. He's a jazz man. Miles got to be a jazz man. That's our jazz man of the uh, Patreon. He's been he's been a long time supporter and then just jumped up to the top tier. He's a thirty nine year old adult man. 
That's good. Self-defined, who uh, messaged us because he bought tickets to go see The Regrets, a band that we right. highly touted on one of our throwback to the future episodes. And he wanted to know if he was going to be the oldest guy there and um, whether he should just pretend that he lost his non-existent teenage daughter to make it less weird. Just race home, get to your <laughs> desktop and talk about yeah. where you stood exactly. Make sure you make, you let people know two things. Which speaker you were closest to uh-huh. and the fabric of yeah. the lead singer's shirt. Which is going to be so creepy coming from a 39-year-old man about the lead singer of The Regrets. So enjoy the concert, Miles. Uh, thank you. I like to, how you said that, like assuming people know anything about The Regrets. It's a female. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Everybody knows The Regrets. Um, also, thank you to Kleine and Mansi over in Australia. Courtney and Wyatt. Dan, I think this is Courtney's favorite album. Ever? Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. I think she'll be happy with this. I think she'll be happy with this. And of course, the one and only Bruno, the sponsor. What's up with that motherfucker? Who messaged us. He is alive as of January 31st. Crack hour? As of January 31st, he is not dead on a bus like (laughs) into the wild. Just the skeleton on a bus in the (laughs) middle of the wilderness. And Dan, here is his message. Yes. Uh, Because, you know, I gave everybody on Patreon the, uh, just a reminder, like, get out before it's too late. Because, you know, we're we're back. And he said that uh, I'm staying the course, but I want to make it clear that me... And the whole country of Canada stand with BTS. So I'm sorry, Dan. <laughs> My feud with BTS <laughs> almost got me fired. I was declared problematic by three million BTS fans a couple months back. Very accurate. Did you know, Bob? According to your beloved Spotify, which has come under fire a bit, Bob. Well, let's not get into that. It's late in the episode. We can't. We can't really I'm, get into well, that now. I'm just. I'm noting. That the entire platform is going under, and we're lucky that County Crows are even on it. As I look at this uh, document, uh, the what song do you think has been played the most on this desert life? Colorblind, because of the crossover appeal. By yes, nothing's even half as much. Really, other than hanging around, which is uh, closing in on thirty million streams. Colorblind, and that's probably just all the. Um, the Meeting. Seth Green fans. And the meetings that we have. Right. Was yeah. it Seth Green? What was the uh, Four Kings NBC sitcom? That was Breckenmeyer. Breckenmeyer. It's the Breckenmeyer fans that yeah. got that thing up to 30 mil. <laughs> uh, the Colorblind is 55 million streams. And basically every other song is about one to two million streams. Just wow. to put that into perspective. Okay. Mrs. Potter's Lullaby is closing in on 10. Okay. Anyway, well, it's that, time to pick a song. Bob. That leads us to the biggest choice of the of the millennium. What are we going to do? What are we putting on there? I, I think I know what we should do. What do you think we should do, Dan? I think we should put on the song that is uh, most emblematic of a song that can only exist within the Counting Crows universe and no other universe in okay. terms of how it was born, how how it was conceived. How it was developed and how it like reached the world. Yep. And the fact that it's just a fucking great song. It's the right call. So it's an easy one. Mrs. Potter's Of Lola course it is. Is the next song on the throwback podcast playlist, which is what it's a couple days of easy listening now we're up to. Oh yeah, we're hours and hours and hours. If you're not following it on Spotify, go do it right now. This might be the longest uh, song as well. well uh, I don't I don't seven forty five. I don't know if we have anything. Oh, no, we have. It's not even top three. What else is on there? Let's beat it. I know Lemon is 630 about. Lemon is our fifth longest song. 
All right, let's hear the five longest songs of the Throwback Podcast playlist. Number five. Wait, is Lemon exactly 630? 6.57. Oh, shit. There you go, Bob. Number four, The White Stripes Ball and Biscuit. Mm, okay. Off of Elephant. Yep. Number three, Purple Rain by Prince. There you go. These are bangers. Number two, Runaway by Kanye at nine minutes, eight seconds. Oh, we, well, we could put the single edit on there if we want, but we I like that we put the full version. And actually, no, Tied for First. Sorry, Runaway. Tied for First with Green Day's Jesus of Suburbia. Oh. Nine minutes, eight seconds. And that's like five songs. Interesting. All right. So Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, that's, that's going to uh, eat up some time in that playlist. That could... Be something you'll enjoy. Whoa, crazy fun fact. Here we go. The two shortest songs on the podcast playlist by two of the bands that are in the top five. The White Stripes Hotel Yorba and She by Green Day. Huh. Huh. That's a a little good nug. I'm going to go write about that (laughs) on my throwback podcast review. Make sure you tell us the the fabric type. What, of what are you wearing? Right? That looks that looks cottony to me. That That's a cotton. Uh, oh yeah, nylon hybrid. See, I, I, hybrid. Know, I know my cotton. That's a little polyester in there though. Oh, too, I can tell. Believe me. All right, follow us on Throwback Pod. Uh, I don't Twitter remember. at Throwback Pod. Everything at Throwback Pod. Oh good. Patreon.com slash Throwback Pod. The Gmail is there. The Throwback Pod. The Throwback Pod at gmail.com. and uh, we'll be back in two weeks. All right. I had like an I wish I was a girl reference there locked in, but I couldn't figure out how to stick the landing. All right. So instead I'll say go fuck yourself. Perfect. And there is all